We're going to talk about something that takes place all the time in our walk with God, and especially at various points where you have this great encounter with the Lord. But there's this odd thing. You have this tremendous encounter with God. We have a retreat where you really get a lot out of it, or a sermon, or something just really takes your spiritual life and just explodes it. You have joy. And I see one of two things happen. One is some grab hold of the word from the Lord and they really apply the word that they get. And you can see them change. You see them take steps further. You see them go forward. You see them grow. You see the maturity take place. You know, the one thing we can't lay hands on you for is maturity and just put hands on you and you just all of a sudden have maturity. I wish. Character, no. It doesn't go like that. But you have times you get the word in you and suddenly your maturity just takes off. It's like something dawns on you or you get a new perspective or your faith deepens or courage arises. And the main thing is you get a lot of freedom. That's what takes place. But then you have a second person and some come off the same experience. They've had, you know, a tremendous encounter with God. You get a lot out of it. God speaks to them. They hear God's voice. They know it's God. They have that amazing outburst, explosion inside of them, and they have joy. But this happens to them. They get worse after the weekend. And you're like, what happened? Or worse after this encounter with God. And you're like, they had such a good initial contact. What happened? It was an initial impact on their life. And then they slipped backwards. Or I look at them and I think, well, what went wrong? I'm not liking the results. Because it's all about fruit. It's all about what takes place afterwards. So it's actually in scripture the answer to this. And so we're going to look at the scripture, and I'm going to make it very easy for you. We're going to contrast an Old Testament passage with a New Testament passage. And I especially like it because Jesus tells us. And you have to do due diligence. Because let me tell you something, God will not do this for you. God won't do it for you, and I can't do it for you. Guess who that leaves? If God won't do this for you, and I can't do it for you, who does it leave? Mm-hmm. That's the right All right, so we're going to start in Genesis 15. I want you to notice something about this story. This is a very holy moment. If God did this with you, where he spoke to you audibly, and he told you, I want to make covenant with you. I want to enter into covenant with you. This is the place. This is the portion where you're going to see take place what we're talking about. That's the answer to the dilemma of one or two. Either being the first person where it sticks and there's good results or the second person where I'm like, uh, 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 something's going wrong. Okay, so God comes to Abram and he says, fear not, Abram, I'm your shield. Your reward's going to be very great. But Abram says to God, oh Lord, what will you give me? I'm still childless. In other words, God's promising a shield. He's telling him a great reward. He says, I still have no babies. Abram says, it looks like there's going to be this slave that's in my house and he's going to inherit the whole thing. He said, and besides that, the slaves from Damascus. (laughs) And Abram said, behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household is going to be an heir to me. It's interesting that God starts making us promises, and we start saying what we don't have. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, this man shall not be your heir. It'll be your own son. He'll be your heir. And he brought him outside, and he told Abram, look, look up. And so a lot of times when I look up at night, this is what I'm thinking about. Look up towards heaven and look at the stars. And he said, number them. He said, if you're able to number them, that's how many children you're going to have. That's how many offspring. Now at his age, having one was going to be a major miracle. But God told him, number them. That's how many you'll have. 
I mean, it's just impossible. Have you ever noticed God makes absurd promises to you? And it's real exciting while you're in the moment and he's talking to you, you feel real excited about it. And look at this next sentence. And he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. This is an Old Testament verse. What is righteousness? What is righteousness? It's when you believe God, when you connect with your promises, when you really say amen to the will that he has for your life. When you're putting on your righteousness, what you're putting on is that you believe what God is telling you. And I think the more absurd, the better in God's mind. And he said to him, I am the Lord that brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land. Like I've given you all this land. This was his idea. You see that Isaac that was promised that it was clearly something God said do. Something God gave. He gave the son. This was his ideal in verse 4. I've given you all this land. But he said, oh Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said, okay, this is what we're going to do. He said, bring me a heifer. <laughs> bring me a heifer. That's three years of age. A female goat that's three years old. And a ram that's three years old. A turtle dove and a young, I thought it said a young person. No, it's a young pigeon. <laughs> and he brought him all of these and they cut them in half. So you have all these carcasses now that he's cut in two. But in verse 11, something attacks the carcasses. Do you remember what it was? You have these carcasses cut in two. What comes up in the middle of this sacred moment between God and Abram, between God and his man, when they're cutting covenant, what happens? Vultures. They sweep down on the carcasses, and God got so angry he drove all of the birds away. Is that what it says? In verse 11, the birds came down and who took the birds away? You know, I wouldn't have thought that God would be the one cutting covenant with me, but I had to be the one that drove off the predators. So I'm going to tell you, it's not God that's going to protect the covenant between you and him. It's you. You have to be the one that gets aggressive and gets the attackers off your covenant promises. This is so shocking. No one ever talks about this because we have this myth about us that we think if God does it for us, if he makes us a promise, if he's cutting covenant, that God takes care of all these things. But you've got to take care of business. You have got to fight for your covenant promises. Amen. You'll never believe how big of a fight I'm talking about that you're going to have to do. You are literally going to have to drive some things off of what's trying to steal from you what God's given you. And it is not God that's going to do it for you. There wasn't even a second hesitation here. It was not God that jumped on the scene here. It was Abram. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then the Lord gives him a prophecy. And he explains to him what's going to take place over the next 400 years. So he tells Abram the future. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. So this shows you God was showing up. It wasn't like God wasn't there. God's there. But Abram had to defend what belonged to him. And I dare say why people don't have promises is they sit back and wait on God to do it for them. They think that that's God's job. They literally think that something great's going to happen to them and God will take care of it. And then when it doesn't and something steals it, they're mad at God. But it's so ironic here to see 
that literally Abram had to get moving to get this to take place. And then it says the most beautiful thing. You think of that as God as a flaming torch passing through. You seeing the presence of God pass through those pieces because it doesn't say Abraham passed through. God did. And only God can put you and him together. That's where you've got to unite on where God makes covenant with you, where you're God's man, where God literally connects himself to you. That was God's way of clearing up all Abraham's questions about his future. Abraham had a lot of doubts. It didn't look like anything was ever going to come to pass. It looked like God was making empty promises. It looked like everyone else was having children. I mean, you're going to find that Abram found out later on that his brother-in-law or sister-in-law or one of them, they had 12 kids and they got married at the same time Abraham did. And you're looking over and you're like, how come the world has 12 times as much as I do? How come it's so easy for them? And literally, you see God's ideal to fulfill his promises to you is to cut covenant. And that's what it says. And on that day, the Lord made covenant with Abram. Wow. What all does that mean? It is very mysterious. And you'll feel times in your life where God's at that point with you of literally making something come to pass between you and him. But I want you to not miss your responsibility in it. I use my yellow highlighter to tell me in my bubble what I have to do. So I mark that one in yellow. That's my job. I have to shoo away the vultures. And that is the title of tonight's lesson. How good are you at shooing away the vultures? And what are you shooing the vultures away from in your life? Do you do that in any part of your walk with God? Are you such a baby that you, <laughs> that you don't do anything? Because you see Abraham having to take this stand. You know, it was very important because God had told him what he wanted at this offering. Well, I was thinking back of what that would have looked like as this vulture swept down on the birds of prey and started, whoop, there goes a leg. You know, he's carrying something off. So when I think of a bird swooping down, I can't I can't forget this story, but this older guy got engaged to one of our cross lines girls, and he was very good looking. And he had such a good voice, a radio voice. That's what he came into town selling himself on his voice. But I didn't trust him. I could go into many stories about him, but I'm going to leave those alone. But he managed to get engaged to one of the leaders of one of our Cross Lines girls. They were engaged, but she didn't have a ring. I think she's like a doctor's daughter, so she was used to very nice things. But she was wearing... um, a string or something around her finger. So I don't remember what it was. And so I was checking in on, y'all are engaged? Yes. And so she said, you're not going to believe what happened. He had me this great ring. And she said, this crow swept down and stole the ring out of his hand. (laughs) I couldn't believe it myself. I couldn't make myself believe that story. If I called the name, some of y'all would remember this guy. (laughs) We may even have a few radio tags from his deep, great voice. I'll never forget, that must have been some bird (laughs) that he grabbed that ring to put it in his nest. So when I think of a bird swooping down, I can't forget that story. But anyway, we'll talk about there are things that will sweep down to try to steal what belongs to you. Now we're going to contrast this story, the story of Genesis 15 and 11, with one that Jesus tells that's very similar. But vultures will try to take away everything that connects you to God. Birds of prey, 
Well, this is what I think happens, is most people just sit there and watch it happen. Like it's something that they just observe. And this is the way they said, now wasn't that the darndest thing? They're like surprised. You're going to have to get over your surprise of what the devil will do. At the most holy moment, he'll swipe it. He'll come down and it will try to grab the pieces and carry them off. And so many people seem to have this ideal. And I know I did. You have it even when you don't mean to have this ideal. But you think if the miracle, if God gives you a miracle of healing, of deliverance or something, that if God gives it, it cannot be taken away from you. You seem to think, well, if it's taken away, that means it was inauthentic. That means God really didn't do it. That shows that God wasn't the one that gave it because four weeks later, I lost it. But the truth is, the enemy will swoop down and try to take whatever God gives you. The point is, it is authentic is why the enemy's after it. And so you've got to renew your mind that just because you have something that's a gift from God... You think just by the very nature that it's something God gave you, you can't lose it. And so Abraham's covenant with the Lord gives us a great picture of how untrue that is by showing us that in the form of birds, there is something attacking at your offering. It's attacking, it's pecking, it's trying to get it. And just because God gave it to you doesn't mean the enemy won't try to take it. You can be guaranteed he's going to try to take it. And if it's not in the very beginning, he'll try to take it somewhere along the way or at the end. So it is your job always to watch over what God gives you. So I would tell you, guard your sell out. When you sell out to God, there's going to be people all along your life, do, 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 walking along that will try to lessen your sell out. They'll try to go after your sell out. Just about the time you make the decision, I'm putting all my eggs in one basket. God, you're my basket. Then immediately, someone will come along and try to challenge your sellout. Well, that's a little too extreme. That's just a little too much. They'll question the integrity of it. You know, I wrote down this years ago. A girl was dating a guy who forbid her to come to Bible study. They're always trying to get you to, to back off. You get a glorious gift from God, and someone says something about it, something negative, questions. Are you going to quit? you going to quit? You're going to get your rejection. Oops. There went that bird with the leg. And it will steal from you the very thing you were rejoicing in weeks before. Because the enemy will try to lessen any covenant connection you have between you and God. That's where you hold first things first. That's where you hold fidelity to God. You remember what I told you, that glorious verse in the Old Testament. If your best friend, your friend whom your soul loves tries to talk you out of walking with your God. What must you do to your friend? You're the one that loves this friend the most, and they try to make you not walk with God. What is that beautiful verse in the Old Testament that tells you what to do? It's got to be you that picks up the stone to kill him with. I mean, you've got to throw the rock first. (laughs) And so that's the one that you've got to crack their knucklehead first. And even if it's the one your soul loves, especially if it's the one your soul loves, that's what it says, is that you have got to stop that because there's constantly going to be vultures, people that just try to look for something they can get that you're going to have to shoo off. Now, I don't know about you, but these bird conventions you see around, do you ever see them? Yeah, it's where these big, black, noisy, grackles, raven-looking crows, they move into an area. And uh, they have this huge convention. And sometimes I find it pretty therapeutic just to go sit among them. 
I mean, they talk, they have conversation. It's kind of unusual to watch what all they do. The first thing when they fly in, you can't take your eyes off of how they circle. It's very unique to watch the way that they move through the air. It's around dusk, and you'll see thousands of them flying through the air together. And one guy described it as, as they fly through the air together in what looks like controlled chaos. Controlled chaos. That's what they look like. And the word for it, let's give you the nice little word, is murmur, murmuration. That's what they've named it. It's like M-U-R-M-U-R-A-T-I-O-N. It's called the bird dance. It's an aerial ballet with tens of thousands of starlings, grackles, cowbirds, red-winged blackbirds flying in mass, seemingly having one mind. And that's what's so unique about it. Usually it's a late fall invasion. You might have 200 of these birds in your backyard on one tree. Some people run counts, and there's over 20,000 of them in these groups. One mass of birds was 2 million. What's strange about it is I thought it was all one type of bird, but they said it's actually all the blackbirds mixed together, that they meet up. There's all kinds of theories of what they're doing and why. The birds all end up gathering in the same area as the sun goes down for a process called, as we know, us who live on farms and ranches, roosting. And they pick an isolated patch of trees where they'll spend the night, and the next morning there's plenty of leftovers from them. The bird droppings are on everything. So they can cover an entire tree. They are bird to bird on the telephone wires, and they sit there and they holler in their bird language. And so the way to remedy these things is sometimes they put up plastic owls. Like, let's try to scare them. We'll put up an owl. We'll string tethered balloons. We'll put up aluminum pie tins. We'll have flashing lights, loud noise deterrents, bird nets, foggers, sound devices, ultrasonic devices, active devices, everything you can think of. In fact, here on campus, I saw a guy that was a falconer, and he would send his bird up and take them out. Boom, because you can't shoot them, but you can use those. Trained birds that come in for the kill. What we're talking about is the art of shooing birds. The best thing, I think, would be just to run through them. Haven't you ever done that on Walmart? You'll just take it, two or three of you just go flying through them. And you scream like you've lost your ever-loving mind. That's what I would say would be the way to shoot the birds. That's what you're going to have to do to be able to prepare for getting rid of something that wants to eat what you've got. Now, that's your Old Testament story. That's how it looks in the Old Testament to get something off your covenant. But Jesus has words to say about this too. And he tells a story. I'm not going to go into his whole parable. I'm just going to take this one verse. And it's in Matthew 13, Mark 4, 14 and 15. It says, the sower soweth the word. He said, there are some that are thrown by the wayside or is thrown on hard ground. And the word is sown. But it says, because it falls on hard ground, what they have heard, Satan comes immediately to take the word that was sown into their hearts. When he first tells the parable, it says the birds come and they eat the seed off of the hard ground. Now, this is kind of an unusual concept. Let's talk about it. So the seed, the seed is what? The word of God. So you get the seed sown into you in any good sermon. You get seed sown, but what is it that is hard ground about you? What could cause it to be like me throwing a seed right out here on the concrete? 
Like, I mean, that's a great picture. It's a word picture. It's hitting hard soil. The seed cannot penetrate. There's been too many feet going over it. It never goes inside, and the birds come and steal it. What is it that creates an environment in you that would cause the word not to penetrate you, but penetrate the person next to you? What? Religion, a religious spirit. So the birds come, and I'm quoting out the New American Standard Version. Of all things that Jesus could have named that causes you to go and hear a tremendous word from God, what would cause you to be hard ground that would set it up that Satan can immediately take it away from you? I can think of thousands of enemies. You know, we could name all night, but does anyone know what the verse says? That what is so dangerous to you to cause you to get absolutely nothing. Like you go to a whole weekend and you get nothing that the Lord's trying to say to you. Do you know what it is? You want to say it, Steph? Misunderstanding. Misunderstanding. Who would have believed it? Did you know that misunderstanding makes a hard heart on you? Well, how, what can you do about that? If you don't understand, you just don't understand. If it's misunderstanding, wouldn't that be the fault of the person trying to communicate? Well, they didn't say it right. This is misunderstanding. I'm in misunderstanding. What are we going to do on Judgment Day? We have this whole section of people. They never got the word in them because they misunderstood. They thought that was a person that they shouldn't listen to. They didn't know it was truth. They didn't know to come. They didn't go down the list. It's misunderstanding. I was shocked out of everything that Jesus said that they didn't understand. It's like dying on the first day of the war. Because they give you one, two, three, four things that can happen to you. You can have rocky soil, you can have thorns, and you can be, you know, choked out by the riches of this world and stuff. But to get killed, <laughs> to not have the word ever in your life just because you don't have the capability of understanding it. That is the number one way that you won't get the word in you. Like never getting off the ground with the word. Or maybe I should say never getting in the ground with the word. Misunderstanding. It's spiritual warfare. It starts messing with your mind. He will try to disillusion you. The minute you think, I don't understand that, you're in warfare. The minute it's not clicking with you, it doesn't go deep. You are in warfare. You're in level one of what's taking place. And it tells you it is not your mind that's boggling it. It doesn't say that it's the speaker not getting it across to you. It tells you that it's the enemy going to take everything you've got. Misunderstanding. How dangerous is misunderstanding? Have you ever thought about misunderstanding being the most dangerous thing that can ever happen to you? What Jesus listed first. They say this is the foundational parable of all his parables. The number one thing you have to be in alarm about, the number one thing that you've got to say, I am in danger, is when you don't understand the word of God. It is a serious problem. I would have never guessed misunderstanding being the thing that could most keep people from never getting a chance at going deeper with God. So I would tell you the minute you experience misunderstanding, danger, 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 you're in danger. Spiritually, you're in danger. And immediately, that's when the enemy's going to come in. Now, I think what's strange about this I would have said, okay, it's hard ground, so it never gets into your heart. But once the word gets into your heart, it can never be stolen. That's what I would think. Just get it in their heart. Just quickly, just get the word in, get it in their ear, get it down to their heart, and it can't be stolen. Matthew 13, 19 says, and Satan will reach in and snatch it out of their heart. 
It can be a heart plant. It means the seed can penetrate, get clear to your heart, and be snatched out because you don't handle the bird called misunderstanding. There is a bird sitting on your chest pecking, and he is trying to get that thing out of you that Abraham passed the test, and Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him righteousness. That bird is trying to make you not understand what you're hearing. It grabs clear to the heart. I realize it's a myth to think the enemy can't steal something straight out of your heart. Wow, spiritual warfare is worse than I thought. You can't let go of the word of God till you understand. You can't let go of it. You've got to stick with it. You've got to be persistent. You've got to put it up on the shelf and ask God to explain it to you. You've got to search. You've got to ask, seek, knock, beat the door down. You've got to do whatever it takes till you understand it and don't get into misunderstandings. Because I think misunderstandings runs the whole gamut from not understanding what you're hearing clear to offenses. And a misunderstanding will keep it where the enemy has every right. I'm not going to say he has a right. He's an invader, a trespasser, and everything. But he thinks he can breach every single defense that you have to get the word out of your heart if you don't get it in there where you understand it. And so what goes wrong is up to you to solve because it can be clear, but there can be some reasons that it goes in your ear and twist, and you don't get it. There is spiritual warfare on the word of God to twist it where you don't understand it. And if you present a lifetime of not understanding, even if you present a decade of not understanding, even if you waste two or three of the most important years of your life, it will be crucial to you. Because you will have things go wrong in those three years because the word was not planted. You must consistently eat the word like you're eating dinner. (laughs) You have to have that input of the word of God. So in Matthew 13, which is my favorite one of the parable where it tells it, Mark 4, it's also in Luke. I'm going to tell you that the misunderstanding is the first round of assault. There are other things that will come in to steal, choke, But this one is what the birds do. And out of all of them, this is the realm that it talks about the demonic. This is the realm where Satan's involved. This is the realm where Satan puts his little claws in you and tries to extract what God has given you. So how do you get truth? Well, we were discussing that this afternoon. How do you get truth? How come some people can really seem to get truth? I'm going to put it in these words. You have to calibrate your heart for truth. It's got to be something you love. If you love it, it's attracted to you. So to get this process to not take place, you're going to have to figure out how to win this war against this assault. So who's the bird? Well, it says the wicked one. And then it tells you the timing of the assault. The minute I get something that I just love hearing, the minute I feel that unbelievable high, the minute that I feel the presence of God, Jesus uses the word in Matthew 13, 19. Immediately, immediately, that's the timing of the attack. So when you hear a Bible study, the minute you walk out the door, immediately, the word in your life is under attack. One time I wrote myself a lesson on this. The word that has been sown in my heart is under attack. It is under attack. The enemy is trying to get it out of me because he knows what he'll do. It will germinate into fruit if I leave the word in me. I will bear fruit. 
So it's immediately under attack. Then cometh the wicked one in Mark, Satan, or the devil in Luke, Luke 8. The evil spirit, as soon as he ever observes that you're soaking up the word of God, hearing the word, something's going to show up that you aren't used to battling. You're like, what's that evil presence I feel? Well, it's just you ate the word. And immediately the devil shows up. I can count on you. I put prayer into you before the retreat. Believe me, I'm putting more prayer into you after because you've got to retain the word that God puts in your heart. You have to retain it. How does a demon come in and steal the word from you? It's not just a little matter of good communication, but we have to understand that Satan begins with a misunderstanding and he takes us into a full-blown attack to lead us into deception. And that's his end goal. Because the whole world is falling under deception. You know, I could get up here and every week teach you on what not to believe based on something I heard from somebody this week. Robbie threw me one. She goes, why don't you teach on this this week? And I'm like, that stamps out one fire. But we got 20 more. (laughs) I mean, everywhere I look, it's deception. I've never seen so many deceived people. And it comes from this thing of not being able to absorb where they can have an understanding for truth. Satan is the ultimate deceiver. He doesn't tell you, oh, I'm deceiving you. Guess what the worst thing is? Deceived people don't know they're deceived. He does all he can to throw you into confusion. And let me give you the name of the spirit that you're dealing with in this first attack. I just found out about this guy not too many years back, and it was called the spirit of Leviathan. And the spirit of Leviathan, he's like this monster beast. And for the sake of not being able to really determine what kind of animal he is, they most often compare him to a crocodile. And what he does is he grabs you by his jaws, and he rolls you and carries you to the bottom until you drown and he eats you. And that's what happens under this spirit. He twists conversation. He gets you in this twist as he's taking you under the water. He twists words. What does the ancient spirit of Leviathan do? It says the ancient spirit is behind today's media. <laughs> that ancient Leviathan is <laughs> was in your newspaper, <laughs> was in your news this morning. Let me tell you, see if this, it twists the meaning of words and it seeks to destroy the unity of people. It would take this group, and Leviathan, if he tried to get loose in here, he would try to destroy the unity. He twists words. It seeks to divide and dismember the relationships God has connected you to for spiritual growth and to do spiritual assignments. Right before you're supposed to kill Goliath, Leviathan will come. Right before you kill Goliath, Leviathan will show up. It fosters an atmosphere of of accusation against you. It will get into your family and rip it to pieces. He's lurking. He's waiting. He's a swamp creature. Talking about Leviathan, I was like, I've seen this. There will be those who will rise up to betray you because of your walk with God. He turns every little innocent mistake into something malicious. What is that? What's going on? I'm suspicious. Slander. If it didn't happen, it doesn't matter. I can still make it sound like it did. It's the nature of the devil. When you find someone in lies, get away from them. Get away from lies. Manipulative lies, people that are manipulating, controlling, lying. Lying is a spirit God does not put up with. Slander is the ninth commandment. People begin to hate you without cause. It begins to work to hinder all spiritual growth. 
It is the hidden power behind the battle in our culture that seeks to turn people groups against each other. It's messing with society as a whole. We have Leviathan parading down the street. Those most affected by it are the least aware of its presence. The people most captive by Leviathan, instead of riding in a parade in a car, they're on the back of this beast going down the parade streets. They're celebrating Leviathan. Do you find yourself losing focus? Well, there may be more going on than you realize. There's a spirit that works with the spirit of offense, and it perceives offenses in everything. It is resentful, and it's bitter. It will quote you as saying something you never said. It loves to twist things. This sounds crazy, but I noticed in the times that I've seen full-blown Leviathan attacks, it really loves to take little sayings that we have and twist them. Like, I remember this happened in the military to, to someone in my family, but he said, let's step outside. Well, he had a reason for it, but the guy said, he said he's going to take me outside and beat me up, his commander. But he was telling him to step outside so the cursing that was going on by that guy wouldn't be heard. Then the guy began to twist his words, saying he was cursing at me, and the guy has never cursed. Leviathan takes it, and he's trying to pick a fight. He's trying to make it happen. He's trying to seduce you to where you're ineffective and totally ruin your reputation. I remember another statement my dad made. There were a lot of people ganging up on him, and he told this man, call your dogs off. Before they were through with the statement, they said, your dad's seeing dogs. Like they're appearing to him, and we go, what? And I thought, oh, they weren't raised in the country. Call your dogs off? We know what that means. <laughs> But Leviathan takes anything normal and twists it and makes it have this hideous meaning. It loves to play on words. The role of Leviathan with the prey is the rolling of the words. They half hear one thing and the other half of the people hear another. Have you ever seen that happen? Can the word be robbed of its power? That's a strong question. Can the word of God be robbed of its power? I was like, I don't know. Can you rob God's word in all of its power, can you rob it? Can you steal it away when a spirit is attached to it? Well, this goes along with your definition in Mark 7, 13 of the religious spirit. It says, by your religious tradition, you invalidate the word of God. I didn't know the word of God could be invalidated. You know, when you look at the root of it, it makes it an invalid in your life. It makes it non-powerful, non-working. It robs it of its power. It strips it of its power in your life. You have a hard religious spirit mindset, got your thinking wrong, off on the wrong leg, wrong page, not thinking squarely, and you can literally invalidate the word of God. So who ends up eating the seed in this parable? The birds. The devil eats the word, chomps it up. So what's going to be your answer? What's your antidote? How can you hang on to the seed? Well, I'm going to tell you, you need to write yourself an answer how you're going to say, this is what I'm going to do under this attack. This is not, oh, this one might happen to this person, but not this person. This attack will happen to every single person. Every single person when the word is sown. And the reason it will happen to every single person is because the attack is on the word. It's always on the word. Because you're dealing with the fact that the enemy uses his long claws to try to dig the word out of you. If you feel scratch marks down your esophagus, he's reaching for (laughs) the word. He's trying to pull it out. If you're choking, you're dealing with the spirit. 
How can you hang on to the seed? Remember the verse where God spoke from heaven? There's no better sermon than when God speaks from heaven. You can't get that wrong. This is an example of saying, well, if the communication was good, I wouldn't have misunderstood it. But God speaks from heaven. And they go, did you hear thunder? I just heard thunder. And the other half said, no, I heard God speak. And that's what I'm talking about. It's half and half. Why do some people hear thunder and some people hear what God is saying to them? That's an important statement. And did you know when people are preaching, they're hearing it thunder? So you can't make a case if the communicator was doing a better job, they would get it. When the truth is going out and the word is really being spoken, now I can't help if they're in deception or they're preaching all over the place or they're not accurate. But when it's really the word of God going out, then you can't say that if they preached it right, I wouldn't misunderstand because right here shows you, you can be hearing thunder or you can be hearing God speak to you. Pray to God you learn to hear his voice in the thunder and in the still, small, quiet voice that you can hear your shepherd's voice. I'm going to give you another verse that's very important. It says, be careful how you hear. Mark 4, 23, Luke 8, 18. In Luke, take heed what you hear and how you hear. Now, I want to ask you something. I thought hearing was involuntary. Like if one of y'all just starts yelling at me, how can I be careful how I hear? I'm going to hear whether I'm careful how I hear or not. I'm still going to hear, right? How does Jesus tell you, take care what you hear? Because he says, more will be multiplied to you. That makes no sense to me. Like, I can't stop myself from hearing. Like, you know how they say, my ear's not a garbage pail. I'm not meant to hear your slander or your offense or your complaining. I mean, that's why I was so happy when, I think it was Elsa praying, and she said, you know, I just really appreciate, Lord, that nobody was complainers. Because without y'all knowing it, that's the one thing we're testing for is complaining before we take you on a field. I can't get you up there and you're complaining the whole time. So how do you shut your ears to complaining? How do you shut your ears to offense, especially when it's talking in your ear and it's demonic spirit? We think hearing is involuntary. So I'm going to give you the words for it. You've got to listen to what you hear. You've got to recognize it as an attack. You can't just take it in. You can't receive a thought. You can't let a spirit lie to you. You've got to recognize it if it's a lying spirit to you. You've got to recognize when you hear truth, it's under attack. This is not something in the natural. You've got to know what it wants, and it wants the word in you. And I'm asking you, can you get out of an alligator or a crocodile attack if you got in one of their roles? Because spiritually, at times, you'll find yourself being rolled, and your hearing's crazy, and all you're seeing is gnashing of teeth and grabbing you, and it feels like you're going to be taken to the very bottom. You have got to come out of it because it's that spirit trying to eat you. What we do is the unveiling of truth. And the Lord would tell them sometimes, I can't tell you that or I can't tell this publicly, but to you, I'll give it. So the Lord unveils new things to you. And it's beautiful because it complements and corresponds with things that you've already been learning. He'll build blocks upon there. He'll confirm his word to you. And a lot of people are not familiar with truth. Let me give you Luke 9, 44. Let these words sink deep in your ears. When you're around truth, take it in deeply. You cannot be passive listeners. You must not be passive listeners. That's where you just let yourself hear whatever you hear. You're passive. One aspect is the love of truth. 
the number one thing I'm checking out on you is, do you love truth? Are you having a truth encounter? You know, some people have never seen truth. They've never been around it. Like, I'll have people sometimes stand up and go, I've never heard anything like this in my entire life. But truth does something fun to you. You can feel it. I call it truth leaps. Your spirit leaps when it's exposed to truth. You know when it happens in a sermon because everybody's taking notes on that point. You know, a good sermon will have four or five truth leaps. Like you're like, oh, my. And you just feel truth because there's nothing that feels like truth, like truth in your spirit. But I'll tell you where they get it wrong. Most people only think in terms of this as saving truth. They only think, oh, I just got to get saved. They're hung up on their salvation. (laughs) The salvation is the consummation of the seed in your heart that's when it takes place and it takes hold and the relationship begins that's your beginning mark now you're a baby and the kind of truth I'm talking about will go into you all your life the word going into you they haven't seen the power in truth the deliverance out of a predicament applying the word that'll get you out of a spot the ability to have truth come into you and change everything, transform everything you are and give you the one thing that nothing else can give you, freedom. If you're not free, you don't have truth. If there's an area in your life that's not free, you're not telling yourself the truth in that area. There's something about the word of God or what you know that you have not applied truth to it. Now listen to this beautiful verse and it's going to be out of the ERV translation. It's Isaiah 32, 3. Oh gosh, I love this verse. This is one of those. Then people would actually see what they look at and they would actually listen to what they hear. People who are now confused would now be able to understand. This is what will happen. This is what will come about. Then people would actually see what they look at and they would actually listen to what they hear. But now the people are confused. They would now be able to understand. Do you remember when Jesus said, you have eyes, but you don't see. You have ears, but you don't hear. So, repent. Lazy, passive, stubborn, a lot of flesh, pride. That's the kind of things that will keep you from this walk with truth, this love affair with truth. Self-dependence, or even dependence on another person, or even asking God to do it for you. You must apply the word to you. When the word is preached, you've got to take it in. The thing that most holds the truth in you is where you apply it. I don't want to say nothing I said on Sunday gets applied to Monday. Nothing I said on Sunday gets applied to Monday. You've got to take what was said and apply it to your next day. Apply it. So you're seeing the graduating steps in the enemy's attack. What we've looked at are two scriptures, and both involve the enemy's ability to what? Take, let's use a different word, steal. Remember what the enemy's assignment is? It's to, so phase one is the stealing. Satan's on assignment to steal. In a graduated order, his first round of attack is he's stealing from you. Once he's stolen, he'll move to killing. To maintain your victory, you must stop it at the stealing level first. The warfare intensifies when you allow the enemy to go unnoticed and unchallenged. When you allow yourself to be stolen from, you're passive. If you let him steal and he gains ground, he'll get a greater hold on you. He'll reach in your heart and he'll pluck it out. He'll try to completely take you out. It moves pretty quick from steal, kill to destroy. 
You must believe the word and you must catch him in his act of stealing. Let me say it real quick. He steals the word. He steals the blessing. He steals the gift. He steals the covenant. He steals the miracle. You see, he steals. Constantly trying to steal. The second phase, of course, is the kill phase. Kill the miracle. Kill your testimony. Kill you. In John 12, this is so amazing. They raised Lazarus from the dead in John 11, and the devil's best ideal is, now let's kill Lazarus. He was raised from the dead in the last chapter. Now let's kill him in the next chapter. No one ever talks about the killing of Lazarus because that's stage two in the devil's plan. He stole Lazarus. Jesus caught the thief, made him give Lazarus back. Lazarus, come out of there. What are you doing in there? Come out of those grave clothes. Martha, I told you so. Oh, Mary, you believe me. It's counted to you as righteousness. Mary had Jesus' heart. He brings Lazarus back, and then they make a plot to kill him. And that's what the enemy's trying to do. He moves from stealing to killing. Worse than stealing the miracle is killing the miracle. And then the third phase, the destruction phase, is he's trying to absolutely destroy you, destroy your reputation, destroy your credibility, destroy your influence, your friends, destroy your growth, stop your testimony, and to wipe you off the earth and do it in a twisted, horrible way. That's all the devil's trying to do. When you get into that third place of destruction, it's so much worse than the stealing. It reminds me of a friend of mine. She had a dream about me, and she told me that in the dream, she and I were on a picnic, and it had been a normal picnic of just enjoying the food and everything, and we looked up, and she said there were a lot of blackbirds, just a lot of them just flying towards us in her dream. But she looked over at me, and, and surprise of surprise, she said she knew it was me, but I was a big bull. <laughs> and she said I had a golden ring in my nose. Uh, so she was talking about the fact that that was the presence that I'd had. In. But anyway, we had gotten a, a laugh out of that. But she says that what happened with the birds was unusual, that they turned into tornadoes that they began spinning and whirling, and they became very destructive as they were coming towards us. And she said, as a bull, that I, I pointed my attention towards them, and I spoke my authority in the name of Jesus. And when I did, when I spoke to the tornadoes that were coming for us, that they all turned back, the tornadoes all turned back into birds again. And that's the point. You have to pull it down in the realm of the shooing the birds away that we can't let the birds steal the seed out of our hearts, that we can't let misunderstandings take us there, that it will literally turn into a tornado, it'll turn into chaos, and it'll destroy us, that the ultimate mean of stealing is to turn into killing, and then worse than even killing is complete, utter destruction. So this is how I was seeing that we're actually dealing with three aspects this is the initial place where the enemy attacks us in the area of the birds stealing the seeds or us misunderstanding something. And it eventually works out where we're taken out. Then everything around is just destruction. That when people speak of us, they just talk about everything that just was calamity and fell apart. And that's the purpose of shooing the birds. That's the purpose of what we're talking about, of how diligent we have to be on stopping this attack that we have a part to play in this. So the better you are at chasing off birds, the myths that we have gone over tonight, you've got to make sure that you're not believing the wrong thing because if you don't have truth in these areas, you're being stolen from. So one myth is, I thought if God gave the miracles that it would always last. Wrong. The enemy will try to steal it. 
I thought God would speak plain where I wouldn't misunderstand. No, sometimes you'll hear thunder. You've got to interpret thunder. You've got to hear what God's trying to tell you. Your ears aren't adept if you're just hearing noise. If you're restless walking around, you've got a spirit attached. Well, I thought God would take care of his own covenants. And when he was speaking truth to someone, I thought that was God's job to take care of it. I thought truth would take care of itself. I thought the word couldn't ever be invalidated. Who has the power to invalidate God's word? Your hard-heartedness, your religion, your tradition. I thought the word couldn't ever be robbed of its power. I thought never could the word be without power. It's God's word. It spoke into the universe. I thought if the word went into a heart, the devil couldn't take it out. Those are all ideals that we have made because we're letting ourselves off the hook and we're not taking responsibility to do the two things I named. You've got to drive the vultures off of your covenant promises and you've got to shoo the birds off of the word that's been planted in your heart. So how should you shoo those birds? I'm going to tell you, you throw a fit and get those thoughts off of you. You be like that crazy version of myself that I told you running through Walmart parking lot acting the fool and you run those birds off you scream you shout and you get rid of those birds don't you be killing them one falcon at a time you got twenty thousand thoughts going around your head up there they're pooping on everything you got you got to get where the word drives them off you drive it off the word shooing the vultures run them off the covenant pieces if you see a bird swoop down and get the seed get up and start shouting get it off your ears Get the birds off your ears. You better not be passive. You better be aggressive. Hang on to the word. Hang on to what God gives you. And you've got to be willing and ready because you're going to have to fight for it. Amen.